So every year at this time, I have the, uh, the honor of introducing our special guest uh, for the next several uh, services. And um, this, is, this is one of those uh, privileges I get as the, the lead pastor here. Um, but this year's special for me. Uh, they're always special, but this one in particular, um, because this year's uh, speaker has a, a particularly special place in my heart. And so as, as I take a few extra moments, um, I'd like to just give you a, a, just a, a quick a history. We're gonna, you're going to go back in time with me for just a moment. Uh, the year was 2000, and um, I had been out of high school for a couple of years, had spent about two and a half years of my life um, really wandering. It was a, a desert time. Um, not so much a desert of testing the, that the Lord himself leads us through. It was, it was my own rebellious wanderings that led me there. Now, of course, the Lord is faithful, and he's always present in our, in our hard times, even the ones we bring about ourselves. Um, but I, truly, I had ended up where I was because of my own choices. And um, that summer, uh, even, just really uh, was struggling with God's call upon my life, what it, what it meant to follow Jesus, where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. And um, lo and behold, the Lord intervened in a powerful way, and... Um, and I, I responded to his nudgings and found myself enrolling in Bible college. Who would have ever thought that that would have been a part of my future? And so um, I chose the one closest to the house, just uh, five miles down the road. Where, I mean, uh, why go anywhere else? It's the nearest one. And so I enrolled at this school, didn't know but one person in the whole place. He just so happened I uh, enrolled at the same time as a, uh, a, a friend of mine from my high school, of all places. And and actually, that's another story where uh, we went to high school together, Bible college together, and then seminary together. And so that's a special story, but that's for another time. Uh, but that, that fall, I enrolled and uh, didn't, know, didn't know anything about what was ahead and still reeling from the last couple of years of, of wandering around and trying to figure out who I was in Christ and what I was supposed to be doing. And it just so happens that that same term, uh, we had a new theology professor on campus. Uh, fresh from the mission field, with, um, with, with was it green on his ears? Is that the expression? Uh, just new to, to, to the, the uh, teaching in the American Bible College world. And, um, and so uh, I had some classes and got to know this, this professor and uh, struck up somewhat of a, of a friendship over that first year. Uh, but it was that second year, my sophomore year, when uh, this professor invited me along with three uh, other students, three other young men, uh, to join him every week in his apartment for discipleship. And let me tell you something. If you've ever been in that type of discipleship context, you know that that is where the Lord's business is done in the hearts of young people. It changed my life. It was there where I learned to see Jesus as he really is. It was there where I learned what it means to follow him. It's there where I not only began to understand in my mind what holiness is, but the Lord began to apply these, these truths to my heart. And I was, I was transformed radically. As I, uh, in, the, in the chapel time earlier, um, our speaker shared 
uh, a, a little line graph in the air. <laughs> he waved his fingers through the air to talk about his own uh, spiritual journey and how um, it had some ups and downs along the way. And I think all of us can agree with that. We all have seasons of up and down, and uh, sometimes we, we move at, a, at a, an accelerated rate, and at other times we seem to almost come to a standstill our, in our spiritual progress. Uh, for me, uh, if I were to chart my life, uh, the steepest vertical spike in the shortest amount of time occurred that year. The Lord did radical work in my life. Um, and, and I can look back over the last, um, well now, 20, 22 years. And I can see every, every of one of God's greatest gifts in my life can be traced back to that year. And it's remarkable. Um, and so uh, that professor is with us here today. Um, our lives have, they seem to keep intersecting, kind of like a, I don't know, like something someone would be weaving. Um, we, we intersect, and then the Lord takes us different places, and then he brings us back together for a season, and then the Lord takes us different, different places. And it's been, it's been um, actually almost 11 years since we last saw each other in person. Um, so this, uh, this week is, is very special to me because I get to introduce um, him to you, and also you to him, because you have taken up a very special, impactful, consequential place in my heart as my church family, our church family here. And so it's as much a delight to me to introduce them, to you to them as it is for me to introduce them to you. Reverend Charles Elliott, he goes by Chuck. You can call him Pastor Chuck or Chuck or, um, hey, you. <laughs> he probably answer whatever you say to him. Uh, serves presently as uh, associate pastor at Brookside Church in Chillicothe, Ohio. That is, uh, for you, ge geographical and geographically inclined individuals, that is the next uh, city down from my hometown. So Columbus, Circleville, Chillicothe. Um, I don't know, you make with that with, with what you will, just so you know where that is. Uh, Chuck is a graduate of Circleville Bible College in Circleville, Ohio, which is now Ohio Christian University, and Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And if uh, those two uh, schools happen to ring a bell, it's because those are the same two schools that I graduated from. Um, in 2008, he received a diploma in Christian holiness from the University of Manchester, and he is currently scheduled to receive his doctorate from Asbury Seminary, or yeah, Asbury Seminary next year. Um, he is what they call uh, ABD, which means, does anybody know? Let's hear it. I did not say ADD, although he might be that too. I think you were talking about yourself there, Debbie. I don't know. <laughs> no, A -b 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 -d. A B D. It means all but dissertation. Okay, so he's completed all of the, the study time. He's in the process of, of finalizing and then next year defending his dissertation for his doctorate. Uh, so you now know how to pray for him and his wife over the next uh, number of months here. Um, his dissertation is on the topic of holiness and pastoral leadership. And uh, I think you will detect his expertise and his experience and knowledge in these areas over the coming days. Chuck, of course, is married to his lovely wife, Jenny, who is without a doubt the better half of this couple. <laughs> you will learn that over the coming days as well. Jenny is here with us. She wasn't going to make it until just maybe a week or so ago. She was able to clear, uh, clear things up to come, and 
Um, you will not meet a kinder, sweeter, gentler, precious soul than Jenny Elliott. I promise you. Um, so please, at some point over the coming days, um, yes, meet Chuck, of course, but more importantly, please meet Jenny. Please do that. Uh, together they live near the Scioto River, which runs right down the heart of God's country, if you're wondering where that is, right in the middle of central Ohio and southern Ohio. There they enjoy the forests and farms that characterize the, uh, the, just the, the beautiful vistas of, um, of that part of the state. Um, if you've ever traveled through Ohio, you know that in the, the northwest, it's very flat. You would feel very comfortable there, you coastal plains uh, North Carolinians. Um, but in the southeast, it's quite uh, almost mountainous. It's the, the sort of the foothills of the, the Appalachians. And um, in between, though, there's this beautiful blend of flat and mountainous that is where we call home. Um, and so you can probably, I've already painted hopefully a, a picture of, of the beauty of that area, especially in the fall. Um, if you can make it to Circleville or Chillicothe, I guess would be appropriate, uh, about the third week of October, um, you would see something truly glorious from, uh, directly from the hand of the master artist himself. It's a beautiful place. That's where they call home still. Both Chuck and Jenny were drawn to Jesus and gave themselves to him very early in their lives. Chuck has served as a uh, missionary in Hungary and Ukraine, uh, for 10 years as a Christian educator in both Ohio and Mississippi for six years, and I know you didn't expect this one, as a cattle producer in Ohio for 10 years. That's, he's a Renaissance man. That's a little bit of everything right there. While serving in these capacities over these past 30 years, Chuck has served multiple pastoral roles within the church, mostly bivocationally. Jenny, of course, has served communities in both Ohio and Mississippi as a pharmacist for her entire professional life. So if you need some pills, she's the one that can hook you up. <laughs> you should see the case of, of medication she brought with her. It's, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. Together, they have sought to be faithful living witnesses of Jesus' life and death and resurrection by conforming to the gospel and by connecting in meaningful ways with others in both collegiate in congregational life, and I can tell you from personal experience that they have done precisely that. And I'm excited to see uh, the great things God is going to do through their yieldedness to him and their service to us in these coming days ahead, and I hope you are as well. With that, would you help me join to the, uh, a welcome to the, to the pulpit, Reverend Charles Chuck Elliott here this morning. Our God is holy. Our, our God, he's holy. Our God is holy. Whew. I had to get that off my chest. This has been like a fire burning in my bones. Ever since that man there invited me to come down here and share God's word. But I know what I'm supposed to begin with is to build a little rapport, tell any number of stories that I could, in fact, tell on your pastor, Sean. <laughs> and I'd love to. I know I'm supposed to be doing that and connecting and 
and sharing with you how glad I am you're here and that you're his daughters and that you're his sons. Well, dearly love to connect at that level and to share with you how powerfully I felt the Holy Spirit in the sanctuary when I stepped into it yesterday. It was almost, it was palpable. It was as if his presence was that immediate and real. So I I would love to be able to uh, share those things. But what he's put in me and what he's put upon me, what he offers us is that our God is holy. And I believe that faith to believe that holiness is the name and nature of our God is the epitome of daring in the age we find ourselves in. They define audacity as the willingness to take bold risk. And this week and this morning, we want to explore Christian daring. To dare to say that our God is holy. And how audacious that must be to the ears of our culture, to its power brokers, and to the people who wield that power and seeming influence in our culture. (laughs) The audacity of it. The daring of it. That our God, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, our God is holy. The theme verse I would like to work out of this week It's a song that Moses wrote. And he wrote it when he saw the Lord throw the horse and rider into the sea. The Red Sea. You remember that story. It's Exodus 15. Exodus 15, 11. I'll read it to you. Moses' song Now he's singing it, and after he finishes, the rest of them start singing it. It's worth singing. He deliver you like that. Here it is, our theme. Who else among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is glorious in holiness like you, so awesome in splendor, performing such wonders? You raised up your hand, and the earth swallowed our enemies. With unfailing love, you will lead this people whom you have ransomed. You will guide them in your strength in the place, to the place where your holiness dwells. That's that's where he wants to take them. That's where they're going. And it makes you wonder... What gives him this knowledge? How can he say and make such an audacious claim 
that God, who is majestic in holiness, that he wishes to take the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage and to take them to that place where his holiness dwells. That that's what's in his mind. It's no secret that when God first appeared to Moses there in the burning bush, he said, take off the sandals of your feet because the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Remember what he said. Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them, I am has sent me to you. God also said, tell them, the Lord L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see the Lord in all caps in the scriptures, he's, it's his personal address. It's his personal name that he, is, he gave to Moses when he wanted to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage. Of course, you know this, but it's the truth of God's intimacy of God's desire to be known, to be known personally. And he gives this name, I am, Yahweh. This is the one who reveals himself to Moses. And it's based upon that personal revelation, this personal God, this very specific God who is like you like all of the gods. And then the question is, when they ask me, which God is it? There is a specific, personal, deliberate identity to who this God is. And he gives that name, Yahweh. Yahweh. That is the God. That is his personal name. Now, he goes on further. Not just in Exodus 3, but Exodus 34. Not only is it his personal name, you see implicit is its personal nature. Not only is he holy in his identity, he is holy in his nature. Let's just look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 5. Now you remember, the law has been given. The law was laid down. And in that law, he said, get down from the mountain. The people are sinning. And that means something. Moses went down and, and you know what he did? He broke into the law. The tablets of the law. He broke them in two. And here he comes again. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and called out his own name. Now imagine it. The law has been shattered. He's going back up to receive the law again and he hears God speaking and he's not calling out hey Moses the people Israel no 
God is calling out his own name. And he says, the Lord came down, called out his own name, the Lord, Yahweh, his personal address, as Moses stood there in his, pre- in his, his presence. He passed in front of Moses and said, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. It's my name, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. I show this unfailing love to many thousands by forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion, even the rebellion of Israel. Even so, I do not leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately fell to the ground and worshipped. This is a holy God, but not just in name. It is his identity. It is his nature. It is the nature of of the living God. He's holy. He is the holy God. We see Moses' response. What does it remind you of? Probably, probably of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, we're jumping, we're jumping through the giving of the law. We're jumping through that third use of it. Um, Not just to let us know how condemned we are because we can't keep it, but the law that shows us that portrait of who God is. His preciousness, his holiness, his rightness. He's so right. He's so holy in name and nature. And this is what, in Israel's history, Isaiah saw. Now, this passage you're very familiar with is Isaiah chapter 6. You remember King Uzziah's dead. Isaiah has this incredible vision of God. This is who God is. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of glory. What is the refrain? Chapter 6, verse 3b. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Oh, yes, This is the vision. It's something he's been given. It is not of the created order. It's not arising from Isaiah's context. It's not coming from Isaiah's heart. No, this is something he's privy to by the very grace of God. This scene, holy, holy, holy. Now, you know, and perhaps in Hebrew, if you wanted to emphasize this character of God, if you wanted to emphasize something, it need only be mentioned twice. Holy, holy, it will do it. But here we have the the three times holy, holy, holy. You feel the increasing intensity of his vision of the holiness, the very person of God. It really means utterly, thoroughly, utterly, Perfectly, utterly is the holiness of God. You feel that intensity. You feel that knowledge that doesn't come from this world. That God is holy, holy, holy. The whole earth 
is full of his glory. Oh, what a vision he is given. But even here, Isaiah, I think we see he's, he's in an explicit way trying to show us what is implicit in Exodus. Because in Isaiah, the, 30, the 57th chapter the, and verse 15, it's another picture of holiness. Here, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the holy one, says this. Now, God's speaking. I live in that high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I refresh the humble and give new courage to those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always show my anger. If I did, all people would pass away. All souls that I have made, hear it. I was angry and punished these greedy people. I withdrew myself from them, but they went right on sinning. I have sent, seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. Then words of praise will be on their lips. May they have peace both near and far. For I will heal them all, says Yahweh. But those who still reject me are like the restless sea. It is never still but continually churns up mire and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked says my God and here what we have explicitly revealed is that when God is known as Yahweh holiness is intrinsic to his name and his nature this is who God has revealed himself to be the Holy One of Israel. We have his name, but look at this nature. You know and I know. You don't want a God who's not holy. You do not want that God. You do not want that kind of deity, that kind of idol messing around with your soul. And with your spirit, no, you want, and I want, the Holy One, the, the, a God, the God who is holy. And we see that he is holy in his name and he is holy in his nature. This is who he's presenting himself to be. No other. This is who he is. This is who God is. Ezekiel, you know Israel, they just couldn't learn. Ezekiel chapter 36. I know I'm moving quickly through these. This is the word of our holy God to us. Further message came to Ezekiel, the prophet priest in exile, Babylonian captivity. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, <clears throat> they defiled it by their evil deeds. 
To me, their conduct was as filthy as a bloody rag. They polluted the land with murder and by worshiping idols. So I poured out my fury on them. I scattered them to many lands to punish them for the evil way they had lived. But when they were scattered among the nations, they brought dishonor to my holy name. For the nation said, these are the people of the Lord, Yahweh, and he couldn't keep them safe in his own land. Then I was concerned for my holy name, which had been dishonored by my people throughout the world. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back again, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, which you dishonored while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name you dishonored among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you, before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord God defends his own name. God defends his own nature. And there is no hope on earth if he's not holy. There is no hope for you or for me. There's no hope if he's not holy, the holy one, the holy God. Because it's the initiative of God. His holiness is his initiative. <clears throat> it moves him. God's holiness is not nothing. It moves the very being of God. The nature and name of God. It moves him to make himself known in this world. They profaned his name by injustice. They profaned his name by everything other than God-centeredness. They took God for granted. They used God. They used him. They made an idol of God. They manipulated him for themselves. They were inviolate. You can't touch this. We have the temple. We have the Torah. We have the land. We got God. They manipulated and used him for their own devices. They made an idol of God. And you see his nature. He will defend, he will defend his name. But that nature to forgive even the rebellious. <laughs> Who is this God? Who's this kind of God? When Israel asks, Who's this, who is this God? You introduce me. That's holy. 
give them my personal name and my personal nature. I hasten on to the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 24. So here we are. A man possessed by an evil spirit was in the synagogue. And he began shouting, Why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And here, from an evil spirit, I know who you are. The Holy One sent from God. And Mark is clear. His beautiful gospel, a gospel only tells us who Jesus is. That's the nature of the gospel. Who is Jesus? And Mark is clear. Jesus is the Holy One of God. Now, this is important because the locale of God's presence among the people of Israel is Jesus. That's where God is located himself, his name, his nature, vouchsafed with his son, the Holy One. Here is God's centeredness in bold relief. Here is God's orientation in technicolor, if you will, for plain for everyone to see in all of its dynamic, all of its vibrant colors, all of the reality that it represents. And this, brothers and sisters, is the only appropriate orientation for human existence. It's it. That's it. And to be oriented in any other way is not life. No. It's a, it's a rejection of life. The Holy One of God, we know in Mark, is a title, subset of Son of God. Jesus' holiness here in this context is an active power to expel unclean spirits and releases people from evil. This is the embodiment the holiness of God, the Holy One of God, who in this present manifestation, he releases people from evil and expels the unclean spirit, the holiness of God. The relational otherness of God is made visible in Jesus. And Mark depicts holiness by Identifying Jesus particularly, specifically. You can't miss it as the Holy One. This is the Holy One. And he is able to directly confront evil, uncleanness, and sin, and Satan, and hell, and the devil in every single manifestation of it in the created order. He is the Holy One. And if you're dealing with sin, if you're struggling there 
if you feel oppressed and captive, you want a holy God. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> you, want, you want the Holy One to come and vanquish the unclean spirit. He's, he's the God that we need. He is the God that we want. And this is how he has introduced himself to us. God names himself. He's not just whoever you identify him as. God reveals his own nature. Thank you very much. <laughs> he reveals his own self. And that might not match up with how you define him and how you've shaped him or I've shaped him. God is not against himself or his own nature. He's not against himself. God is against that which portrays his name and nature in emptiness, in nothingness. In disillusion and death. God's holiness refers to a relational otherness. It's essential to the God of the Bible. In fact, you don't have a God of the Bible if you don't have this relational otherness, the holiness of God. As a relational other, God is distinct in offering his presence and image. That's what he's offered us. And God's relational otherness, it, that is the surety inherent within God's covenant honoring character. You don't have faithfulness if he's not holy. You don't have a God that's going to keep his part of the bargain even when you rebel against it if he's not holy. God's relational other is initiative, it's the force, it's the push against injustices of every sort. We name them in the, God, in the prophets, that was their concern. And all self-centered living, God's holiness refers to a, to a contagion, if it were, as it were, to a force that overcomes uncleanness in order to provide access to God's presence. Our God, he's holy. <laughs> he's holy, holy, holy. And our mission in life is to acknowledge God's name and his nature. Hey, what about love? Yeah. 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 Hey, hey, but what about me? <laughs> That's, what about me? You haven't said anything about me. <laughs> I know. But we have a chance this morning as the people of faith, as the people of God, who deal with God on his own terms, 
This is this moment. It's not about you, okay? It's not about me. For a moment in life, a moment in life, if you could just have a vision of the holiness of God, if you were given that, if you were given that, then you would see how soon you'd disappear. And you would soon see how his holiness, the, it's not about you first. And that you're a living response. That's, that's it. You deal with him. That's, that's it. And this is who he presents himself to us and together as being. I want to invite you to join together in a simple refrain. Now, it was a piece of worship. John got privy to. Joe, these guys see these visions of God and they shared it with us. Oh, John. John exiled on Patmos. You saw him there. He was given a vision of that which is eternally enduring. And it was a vision of the worship of God, of Yahweh. And you remember maybe that, that powerful scene. And you may remember the powerful refrain. The refrain is, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Perhaps the most radical and consequential Confession of reality that we can make in heaven or on earth is this refrain. Brothers and sisters, it is daring in its subversiveness to all kingdoms arrayed against it, the kingdoms of this world. And to make this confession, to join with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room this morning and around the world as hour by hour for 24 hours in a day, everybody across the globe takes their turn to repeat this daring and in this context audacious claim, statement of reality Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning, as your response, a chance to respond to this very God, this one who has made himself known and makes himself known, as the Holy One, as Yahweh, whose name and nature is holy. Your appropriate response is to join together collectively that we will repeat this refrain. We will make our confession, not a litany of all of our sins, though they may be many. We will not make that confession necessarily. We will make the confession 
that God, our God, is holy. And that's where we're united. That's where our hearts merge. That's where we're fused. That's where we come together. That's the integration that we're all longing for. And it's through this simple declaration, joining the angels in heaven, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I invite you this morning to rise to your feet, each of you now. We are in the presence of God, and I want us to make this refrain. That's our response, and if you respond any other way, that's fine. He's in control of this, but this is our uniting refrain. I will, I will speak the first part of it, and you repeat it, and I'll re repeat the second part and the third part as you, holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come, our God is holy. Praise His holy name.